0: Welcome back to Building a Fighter. My name is Dr. Austin Shane. I'm a chiropractor in Scottsdale, Arizona, as well as strength coach and wrestling coach. With me, as always, I have Alex Friedman, badass strength coach in Denver, Colorado. Today, we're going to do a continuation on our anatomical approach to training series. Uh, We're going to be talking about the knee and talking about different ways around training the knee. I'm going to talk about different injuries that are associated with the knee and combat sports, um, as well as just different little tips that you can use tomorrow that's going to benefit you.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think uh, this whole anatomical approach has been uh, really valuable. I think the trunk training offered a lot of insight that um, I definitely appreciate, and it gives me a different approach. So I'm excited to see where we go with the knee.
0: Heck, yeah. So talking about the knee, we talk about the knee is a hinge joint, so obviously flexion extension. Um, or bending of the knee and straightening of the knee. as But a lot of people don't realize that it also rotates. So there's going to be about five to eight degrees of rotation both internally. So your that little point in the front of your knee underneath your kneecap can turn inside and outside. And when we don't have those ranges of motion, that's what leads to a lot of our ligamentous damage, right? So outside of our direct contact, somebody playing football get a knee to the back or a shoulder to the back of the knee we get a rupture a lot of the times those wear and tear injuries quote unquote are going to be from a lack of our internal and external rotation of the tibia or our shin bone that attaches to the knee
1: yeah and i think mma and combat grappling specifically is one of these these uh, sports that you specifically need that range of motion that rotation through your knee think about how Um, how much range of motion you need to be able to achieve just to get your hooks in or to fight out of hooks or or, i mean playing jujitsu and grappling in general i mean everything has to be able to access that those ranges of motion and then that's where you get susceptible to things like leg locks and then um and knees can become at risk when they do stiffen up or when we aren't actively taking care of that mobility or actively um searching for more of that range of motion
0: well and thinking about also like powering through double. How, how do you finish a double? You need to activate the, you want to activate the glutes, right? If you're lacking tibial rotation one way or the other, you can't get that knee to turn out. It's like that actual movement where we activate the glutes. It's an entire chain, right? If you don't have a foot arch, that's going to decrease glute activation. If you don't have tibial rotation externally, that's going to decrease or er, uh, glute activation. And all the way through the cascading of the chain. So it's a good thing that we can train <laughs> this, this quality with our different mobility exercises. Um, and I'll link, I'll have Alex link something in the show notes of a, of a YouTube video that you can do this with, but this is where we talked about in the past, those, that FRC functional range conditioning. This is where I use the, honestly, this is probably the number one drill I use for from FRC outside of hip cars. And it's going to be a car. So what it, what a car is, it's called a controlled articular rotation. So that's a bunch of fancy words for it's trying to hit all of the planes of movements possible in the joint in a rotatory pattern. So what you do is you're going to start with your toe facing in, you're going to extend the knee, then you're going to go toe facing out and then flex the knee. And then the opposite going up and down. And that starts building up that internal and external rotation of the tibia that allows you to get into the positions we need to get into and a good test that you can do to look at this is if you lay on your back face up try to with your knee at 90 degrees turn your toe in without your knee moving and turn your toe big toe out without your knee moving and that's a good way that you can see do i have internal rotation and external rotation so toe in would be internal toe out would be external and that's just something you can do on your own to see hey Maybe we need to fix something. Maybe maybe we need to go down this rabbit hole of doing the FRC movements before we work out, before we practice. Right. And I think that's that's
1: usually in, interesting or in, important too, to try and look at those different segments along the chain. And, and I'm kind of guilty of it. I think when I prescribe training loads or when I am uh, in the gym or working with some of my athletes – I, I just view the knee as part of the system, right? I think about ankle, knee, hip, and the stabilization with the posterior chain, anterior chain, whatever's happening. A lot of the times, too, I look at the foot really in depth, and I look at the hips and the glutes really in depth. A lot of times, I skip over the knee, quite honestly. I make sure that it's aligned and everything, but um, having an assessment like that or having – go ahead, Austin. I
0: was just going to say, it, you and every, like everybody does because right. the knee is literally just the middle – the knee's the middle child. Yeah. It's the one that's forgotten, right? It gets the brunt of both ends. If the hip doesn't move, guess what? The knee has to move, which causes damage. If the yeah. ankle doesn't move, guess what? The knee has to move, which, which can cause damage and, but nobody ever thinks about it, but always gets injured. It's, it's the number, according to the UFCPI book, I think it's the number two train, number two area for training injuries out of the entire body is going to be your knee. Oh, so yeah,
1: very common. I, I, I don't, um, I don't doubt that, or I don't, um, anyway, what I'm saying is, yeah, I I overlook it. I make sure that we're lined up and that it's aligned. And other than that, it's got a job to do and it flexes and extends, you know, and there's not a whole lot of corrective based exercise. There's not a lot of, um, attention specifically that I give to the knee, which, um, like you said, it needs to be, to be strong and have the capability of that internal external rotation. But I think, um, understanding that and, and really facilitating a program based around the mobility and and stability of the knee is, it should be a higher value than it is.
0: So Alex, speaking on that, what, what are some solid knee dominant patterns that people can do tomorrow or throw into their programming? That's going to a strengthen the knees, whether it's, whether it's hamstrings, quads, what habit, um, but B that are, that are knee dominant versus hip dominant.
1: Well, I mean, I, on a bias and looking at a weightlifting or an Olympic-based squat, would say squat, right? The the way that I squat is very knee-dominant and that strength squat, and there's back and forth on that a million times over. But um, single leg uh, squat, whether it's Bulgarian or just uh, a floating back leg, I, I think those have been immensely important in my programming. I think creating the unilateral strength and the abil- ability to stabilize while still expressing strength in a good movement pattern has been – invaluable um, into how I program nowadays and now I actually won't program a, a, a strength training plan without a, a unilateral based day or unilateral based uh, exercise block so some of those unilateral squat patterns um, if we're talking about the posterior chain I'm a big fan of things like hamstring bridges, hamstr- leg curls, um, using sliders on the turf or using um, a sore next GHR Things that, again, create the hamstring activation from a knee dominant position, because I think hip dominant, uh, again, hip dominant and hamstring activation is very common. And I think it's um, preached and done a lot. I think knee dominant movement because the hamstring is a, a secondary knee flexor. Right. So we need to use that in that capacity, especially in our running based sports, which I know uh, MMA is not. Um, exclusively a running-based sport, but there's still a lot of distal hamstring activation when we're uh, when we're rolling or looking for an arm bar or um, doing things like that. And I've experienced that even in my own jujitsu practice that kind of help put the hamstrings in uh, in in context for me when I was trying to squeeze for a, uh, an arm bar. And uh, coach kept telling me to drag your heels into their side or drag the heels into their shoulder, and I was like, man, my hamstrings are cramping. What what am I what am I not doing <laughs> in my training that My hamstrings are cramping.
0: (laughs) No, dude, I feel the same way. Like whenever I ride legs, it's the Mm -hmm. same thing. Either my hamstrings cramp or the other thing I want to talk about the adductors. So the inside of our leg, our adductor Magnus is that big adductor muscle that goes down and attaches in the medial knee. That's responsible for a lot of medial knee pain that you're feeling. It's not going, it's not always the MCL like, like everybody thinks it is for whatever reason. Um, it's going to be the adductor magnus or the nerve that's associated in that area that that could be going through causing any sort of irritation. So some ways I I like to train the adductor. I love adductor training. I do it with everybody just because we do think about squeezing your knees together, trying to lock somebody else in place. If you're playing guard, that is adductors. <laughs> that, is, that is not exclusively, but that's, I would say, probably 80% adductors.
1: Well, when you have hooks in and you're on the back, like, I mean, number one thing any wrestler has ever, ever learned is to squeeze with your knees and, and try and control their hips, you know.
0: Exactly. And the best way to train it, I know, crazy enough, is not going to be the leg-together, legs-apart <laughs> machine that you sit on. I know that that's crazy to hear, but but that's not the best way to train it for a combat athlete um so so one thing or actually two things that i've been doing a whole bunch of with my guys and girls down in scottsdale have been copenhagen planks a great 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 way to isometrically load the area so a good way to to help you learn how to use your adductors essentially it's going to be like our our base contraction where we don't have to move but we can hold that air hold the contraction as well as adductor rock backs so it's training a hinge i know this is knee a knee day but we're going to do a hinge pattern along with the other leg is straight and driving your instep into the ground, loading that adductor on the inside and allowing you to again get that isometric contraction or that that reaction or not reaction, um like that intro contraction of the adductor.
1: But yeah, and that's very similar to what I've been doing. And then um I'm glad that you mentioned the adductors because then the groin area, because that has become more of a, a prerequisite or a box to check to ensure that I am uh, preparing an athlete for whatever for a squat day for a stabilization in the knee. Um, so that we, a lot of times add this into our movement prep or our um, pre lift type of area. And so we've done a lot of Copenhagen planks and I, I think they're awesome. and I love them. Um, what, have, what else I've played around with, and I think this goes down the same rabbit hole of kind of the co contraction that happens with the co- Copenhagen plank with the core and the adductors working in the same time is, I've taken like the slam balls, the squishy balls that have sand in them, you know, and you put those between the knees and that just gives an athlete, you know, free rein to, to maximally and I guess isometrically contract in the adductors. And I put athletes in a lot of various uh, positions trying to maintain a stable base and pattern while squeezing that ball, you know, whether it's a squat pattern or whether we're in a low bear and we have the knees off the ground oh. squeezing there. Um, but no, that's gotten a lot of activation for me in that sense.
0: dude dude i do that a bunch with breathe uh, that's i know austin talking about breathing again i do that a bunch with breathing work because it helps pull the pelvis underneath a little bit right so by, by activating the adductors that's going to help with a little bit of a posterior pelvic tilt that aligns the diaphragms so just doing that alone is going to increase the movement quality of our squat patterns of our low bear of all these different patterns so not just with the adductor, just in general. It's gonna make the movement better. Oh, which awesome. is- we're just talking
1: about the knees here.
0: I know. I it's, know. It's, I, get it's, it, I get excited, bro. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, it's I think that's a that's an interesting point to bring up too, is that even though we're taking out one chunk of our, our functional anatomy or one chunk of our anatomy to focus on and talk about, it, it would be amiss for us to not mention the whole system or the whole body that it's incorporated with. I think that's a common fallacy and I mean it's day one in the educational system, right? You know, this is anatomy. This is what this is. This segment is this part of your body. But in reality, your body moves as one cohesive flow, free-flowing unit. Like it's impossible to isolate and, you know, cut into pieces a living person and human that's trying to move. That'd be cool though. I mean, yeah. And I know that that's what what you like to do, but.
0: (laughs) No, um, all right. I got a question for you. Are you pro forward lunge or are you pro backwards or reverse lunge? Um, You pro both.
1: I like both. You swing swing both
0: ways is what Uh, you're saying.
1: On a lunge, I guess. Um, But no, I think a reverse lunge is a a safer movement to load up heavy and to use for more of a strength um, emphasis. But I I think a healthy athlete that has uh, low to minimal knee pain or Uh, can tolerate a forward lunge I I don't see a problem doing it I understand the the logic of a lot of tension on the patellar tendon and everything and and loading that pattern but I think a healthy athlete that can tolerate that load and I I would never put you know a bar on the back and do a forward lunge I don't think that's necessarily appropriate but I would put a bar on the back and do a reverse lunge Um, but walking lunges forward lunges I think those are all fine as accessory movement.
0: Yeah, and and why I'm saying that, so lunge is going to be another one of those knee dominant patterns for the most part. Mm-hmm. So the lunge is going to be that ninety ninety knee contraction. And it's basically just going to be a split squat with more movement. Um, I feel I I am with Alex. I am bilungeal New term. Stop. Just
1: <laughs> <laughs> my goodness. <laughs> Sorry, everybody listening. Sorry about that. And him. This is just something that I tolerate every day. Yeah.
0: But, um, so I, I like, rever- I honestly, I use reverse lunges more just because it trains that pattern of bringing the leg back up, it's just similar to a shot. It trains that it grooves that pattern of stepping back up to, f- or stepping forward instead of stepping backwards. But the same argue- argument could be made of, Hey, if you got a Greco wrestler, you need to step in with a high dive to pull back. And that's going to be, that's literally just a forward lunge. So to each their own, but it's a great pattern to help strengthen up the knee. And like Alex was saying, it does put a little bit of stress on the patellar tendon, but if you know how to, again, thinking about the chain, load the hip properly, your knees not caving in all these different, these different topics that are are hot button issues in strength conditioning and healthcare, um, you, you have a minimal risk, no matter what you're doing, as long as you have a solid coach or you have a solid understanding or at least it was explained to you properly, then you're, you're pretty much at a lower risk of injury, no matter what.
1: Uh, I got one for you, I guess. What... Have you seen or or what is your opinion on a rotational lunge? Do you know what I'm talking about when I when I say rotational lunge?
0: Are you talking about like the star lunges? Or are you talking about like uh, I do like rot- we talked about rotational rear foot elevated split squats where I rotate over the front leg?
1: Right. So what I'm talking about with the rotational lunge is is an athlete's picture them standing on a clock, right? They're standing at at 12 o'clock, top of the clock, yep. and then they yep. take their Right leg will say, and they step it back to where like 3 p.m. on the clock would be, and then they lunge into that pattern. I can link a video of that in the show notes too. But
0: um, so they're we, stepping ob- the the back leg is stepping obliquely to the side.
1: Yep, and then is facing 90 degrees away from the body. So they're turning their torso and their body to go over the toe. Back oh yeah, yeah, straight.
0: yeah, yeah. So like a reverse curtsy. Sure. It's the opposite of a curtsy lunge. So instead of stepping behind the leg, you're stepping out to the side and rotating over the top of the leg.
1: Yeah. So and but with a curtsy lunge, right, we keep the hips and the chest facing forward and, and right. work a little bit on the hip. This one, we're completely selling out and turning towards that knee.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah. So, I don't see anything. I don't see anything wrong with it as mm-hmm. long as the front. As long as the front leg's stable. That's that's my biggest thing with lunges is that the front leg is is your stable unit the back leg if you're doing a reverse lunge is the moving unit right so as long yeah. as you can stabilize the pattern you can load the hip and the knee which is what we're talking about in a in a, a proper manner i hate using that yeah. term because there's no there's no right way but in a safe manner i guess is the is the term then that's bro, it's just going to increase the hip activation. Yeah, and, and I like it. And
1: I, I've seen it specifically with a lot of hockey guys because it, it does work the the external rotation on the hip when you go into that lunge too. But I, I think it works well to um, load and rotate, and it's another transverse plane movement that we often ignore the transverse plane, a lot of training. So, Well,
0: yeah. and that's that's a good point, and it's it goes to the first point we made about internal and external rotation of the tibia, that yeah. a lot of knee training is just sagittal. So that means straight up and down in that like vertical plane, if you will. Um, The best way to strengthen our knees is going to be to add in the different ranges of motion. That's what the cars do. It adds it, it, it. brings it into a transverse plane. That's what this rotational lunge that Alex is talking about, that's what it'll do. It'll train you to better handle the transverse plane, which is almost every sport.
1: Very seldom in, in grappling MMA wrestling are you going to hit a straight on sagittal. I mean, you think of a blast double, but even that has a lot of, lot of lateral movement aspects to set it up or to go. But very seldom are you moving in a straight line forward, backward, backward. Um, in specifically MMA, period. Um <clears throat> another thing I wanted to get your uh opinion on is I forgot what it was. Um talking about rotation through the knee. Oh, okay. Another thing I wanna get your opinion on is knee valgus during a squat or knee valgus during a vertical jump. Um or, or something similar. And I think obviously knee valgus has been demonized and, you know, everybody thinks it's the worst thing ever, but um, I want to hear what what your opinions of that are.
0: All right, so so I have to, I have two sides. So okay. first we got to explain we got to explain knee valgus. So knee valgus is going to be the knees caving together during a squat. So it's going to be that pattern that a lot of people when when you think about like a faulty squat, it's when your feet are out, your knees cave and try to touch each other, and you can't. You're not activating the hip. Um, when you don't activate the hip, it causes damage. to the, uh, not damage, but it could irritate the medial knee because though that part of the knee is collapsing upon each other. And that's where you lead to your adductor strains. That's where you lead to your, um, MCL issues, all these different things. So from the training side of things, there's, I really, I'm kind of neutral on it. As long as it's in a safe manner, we know that a little knee valgus is going to help our plyometric movements because because the knee has rotation. So a little bit of a knee valgus isn't going to be terrible as long as it's not in excess in excess. That's going to cause damage to the ligamentous structures in the area in excess. It could irritate the nervous system in the area and cause a further stretch. Um, But as long as it's just a little bit of knee valgus, that's going to assist with our plyometric movements. That's going to assist with our explosive movements, especially if we're doing like say like a repeat jump. The problem is who is to say what is excess for that athlete? And it comes from the assessment that you do. So for, I think, um, who was the basketball player that had that terrible? Uh, Paul George, is, is that he destroyed his knee a while ago? Uh, I'm, I'm asking the wrong guy. Yeah, I um, think I pay attention to any <laughs> professional sports or NBAs. <laughs> uh, I, I don't know if it was him. There was some basketball player that jumped up for jumped up either for a layup or a rebound and came down and just his knee collapsed immediately and boom, shredded basically every ligament in his knee. Guys like that, they have so much, they have so, so much power, so much explosiveness um, that maybe knee valgus isn't the best thing unless you know the knee is stable and you need to train the landing mechanics, which is something else that I feel like we should mention. That landing mechanics are just as important as jumping mechanics for the knee because you need to be able to catch yourself. You need to do that hold because you need that reactive, which we've talked about, that reactive stability. If your brain doesn't know that it can stabilize the area, it's not going to let you get any higher on your jumps, on your power output. Um, so I guess the long story short of my of my knee valgus stance is it's good in small doses, but in general, I would say that I would prefer a neutral knee.
1: Yeah, and I, th- I think I, I've been exposed to very similar things um, through all my experiences and research, and, and I completely agree with what you're saying, and it comes down to knowing your athlete, right? Is is that knee valgus a fault and a weakness in the glute or in the hip stability, or is that knee valgus a common pattern and and the knee rotation that yields more power. Um, And you need to know an athlete and see that repetitively because there's all types of examples. If you watch NFL players on the field, if you watch, you know, somebody striking in in the octagon, there's all types of examples of knee valgus. and everybody demonizes it. And in the weight room, it's like worst thing ever. Don't do this. You know, it's like, you need knees over toes or even further out all the time, every time, Period. And, and I think, I think that's just a little too overt of a stance.
0: Well, and I, I, I think it's a good, a good thing to mention that high performance isn't healthy. Yeah. Like, like um, I'm not going to, I will never, ever, I will say it with absolute certainty. I will never train a 45 year old gen pop patient to do any sort of knee valgus. I'm going to correct it one every single time. But if I'm working with like, but, I, but I don't work with them. <laughs> it sounds bad, but I don't really work with those people. If I'm working with my, with, to my higher level fighters i'll let them get away with little knee valgus if we're doing some sort of power output movement where i need them to use that spring and as long as i've already ruled out the the possibility that they lack tibial internal and external rotation yeah 100 so percent yeah.
1: contextual and then Yeah. And it's just being able to recognize that and it's hard to see unless you've watched it before too. Um, so I think that's important, but the the thing that you also hit on was landing mechanics. And I think again, plyometrics have gone crazy training plyometric and, and, um, But landing from the plyometric jump, landing from any type of power output where you're flying through the air is so important. And the knee stability, valgus, um, varus, anything that has to do with that is rapidly applied in the landing. And very few people think about the landing um, as far as athletes. And I think the first progression for me is in a plyometric where I'm doing box jumps and I've started a lot of, you know, high school, middle school athletes and I'm teaching them to do box jumps the first time first thing i'm doing is a snap down a depth drop single leg depth drop single leg snap down things like that so that they have the um the landing capability and the ability to rapidly stabilize through their ankle foot knee hip torso there's not suboptimal rotation going on there's not a a lack of ability there i want to actually see that we can coordinate that landing before we start to jump on boxes or before we start to try and chase any sort of like power output or distance type of goals.
0: Well, and dude, the brain is so <coughs> smart. Like people don't realize how smart the brain is. Yeah. The number one goal of your brain is to make sure that there's no damage to the body. So think about like, if you don't know how to land, that is a physical or a, I guess a neurologic restrictor plate on power output. If you don't know how to land in a broad jump, your brain will not let you get further in your broad jump. No matter how much power output you have, no matter how much like how many go muscles you you can do to get further, if you don't know how to land, you're always going to have that neurologic restrictor plate. Because again, the number one goal is for you not to shred your hips, shred your knees. All these different things so it, it's not to perform in a broad jump as much as athletes and nfl combine athletes really think it is your your brain's tricky it, it doesn't give a shit about your combine performance it gives a lot more fucks about you like yeah, actually right. living longer right.
1: no i i mean i love that i think and that that branches back to what i have learned as the central governing th- theory right and i learned it around fatigue but i think it applies hugely into power output strength improvement too because like you said your body refuses to uh, refuses to push and the thing that makes it so interesting is it's it's such a subconscious decision right you're not there's no thought in your head that i better not jump that far or else i'm going to tear something or or i don't know how to land it's it just it happens right away and uh that that's a theory the central governing theory is something that happens with fatigue a lot too um, and what's popular to think is that your muscles wear out or they don't have enough energy to keep going or whatever. And, and that has been pretty debunked within the science. What more actually happens is your brain signals to the muscles, signals to the chemical pathways and says, if we keep doing this, we're going to do significant damage and hurt ourselves. We better stop. And so it literally cuts off the supplies to your muscles through a, a neural system, system and, and your brain controls your fatigue there, even though you could in theory, still keep going because you have the, the capability. The central governor, which is your brain and your, your spinal cord, turns things off because it is afraid of those damages and, and injuries that could potentially happen. So um, that, that I think, is a super interesting point and probably one on its own later, but the central governor.
0: Yeah. Um, bringing it back to the knee, there's, there's a couple injuries that I think are very common in MMA. So the first one I want to touch on, I'm not, I'm not going to touch on ACLs. While they are common, um, they get talked about so much. And realistically, as far as MMA goes, like most of them come from contact. The the crazy, the crazy ACL injuries are the ones like on a football field, the non-contact ones. And, we can, and if you want to learn about those or you want to talk about those, I am more than happy to have conversations with you. But I want to touch on the ones that get a little less light because I think they're more common than people realize. So the first one's going to be your MCL strains or uh, sorry, MCL sprains. Um, the MCL sprain is going to be the medial collateral or the medial collateral ligament right on the inside right here. Or you, you're not on video. Yeah. So it's right on the inside of the, yeah, my bad, everybody. It's right, the inside. Rub his knee. <laughs> uh, it's right on the inside of the knee. It's going to attach the femur to the tibia. All right. This is one that a lot of people get. You get a sprain. Your, whoever you go to, your ortho, chiro, whoever says you have a sprain and you're out for two to three weeks. And they don't really give you much to do other than that. Right. They say, hey, maybe do a glute bridge here and there. That's literally what people do. It's dumb. But a lot of the times when it happens, so what a sprain is, a sprain is just a tearing, a a grade of tearing of the ligament. So there's grade one, grade two, grade three. So grade one, it's, it's a minor. We can, I, I just call them minor, moderate, and severe. So we got minor, which is a little less than 25%. Moderate, which is going to be above 25% all the way up to severe, which is a full ripping of, of, or full tear, full, full width tear of your MCL. So when we're talking about the MCL, some fantastic ways to decrease pressure on the medial knee are going to be actually to activate the lateral hip, so the outside of your glutes. That's why I said some people just say, hey, do some glute bridges and you'll be good to go. Um, s- some things you can do on your own if you are told about MCL injuries, told you have an MCL problem, are going to be, we can do glute bridges. That's that's not a terrible option, but most combat athletes need a higher stimulus. If we talk about the said principle from from just lifting in general, you need specific adaptations to the imposed demands. You need to impose demands to then get the adaptation, which means you need to get over the actual barrier to impose those demands. So single leg glute bridges, you can grab a hip circle. That's going to increase the demand that you ask upon your glutes. Um, Hinging. I do actually a lot of my knee rehab, as dumb as it sounds, are going to be like kettlebell deadlifts. There's a fantastic way to activate the outside of the hip to decrease the pressure on the knee and then gently just grade back into our knee pattern. So our squats, our lunges, our split squats, all these different things. As well as a lot a lot of the times people don't talk about it, the calf, the gastroc muscle, also crosses the knee. So it's it doesn't just it doesn't just stay on that lower leg, it crosses over to the knee. So doing different calf exercises as well are a fantastic way to assist and decrease pressure on the inside of that MCL, that that inside of the knee. One thing I want to talk about as well with that is, do you need surgery? Because everybody, I think I would suffice it to say, almost everybody on my team has come up to me saying like, hey, I have an MCL problem. Do I need surgery? I'm like, no, you don't. I currently have 10% of my MCL on my right knee and I live just fine. I wrestle with all of these guys. Like I live a day-to-day life that I'm, I'm a hundred percent fine living. It's to the point where if you can't kick the painful pathway or if you have nothing and maybe you're Patrick Mahomes and you need that lateral movement or you're like, you're, Connor, you're at at the point in your career where lateral movement is inhibiting you, where you you can't do those movements, then we talk about maybe cleaning it up, getting a scope or getting a graft. But for the most case, I would say in 80 to 90% of the actual cases in the MCL, you don't need surgery it's going to be something that we can train around and strengthen everything else where you don't need to get that surgery and do that actual rehab and have to deal with the trauma of surgery. Okay. And I, and I'm, I'm actually fairly like, as far as I know, I'm a chiropractor, but I'm fairly pro surgery. Like a lot of the guy, I I side a lot of the times with the surgeon because they know what the fuck they're doing. But for the, for the most part, MCLs, you don't need that surgery. The other one that I think doesn't get a lot of light and I know it's affected me and it's affected a lot of my teammates is going to be bursitis of the knee. Bursitis, a bursa sac is a little fluid sac around a joint to allow it to get more movement. So think about it like uh, uh, WD-40 for your joint. It's going to give fluid in the joint, allow the synovial joint of what the knee is to move and try to, and not creak as much. Um, to put to put it into uh, different terms, so with bursitis, if you have direct trauma onto one of these little bursa sacs, that can cause inflammation. Think about like. With somebody, it happens a lot in the elbows and the knees, those hinge joints. So with somebody, if they have direct trauma, say you take a penetration step or a wrestling shot and you come down upon on top of it, you get that immediate flare up or that immediate inflammation in the area. Your knee kind of starts to jiggle. I know that's what happened to mine. Like I would run miles and stuff and my knee would just be jiggling Um, and it also some uh, from for the most case has a spontaneous resolution which means it just goes away on its own after like three weeks but hurts like hell <laughs> have you ever had bursa uh yeah. Bursa issues yeah yeah dude it's it hurts like hell it burns you don't know what's going on you don't want to take a shot so you completely change the way that you train like it sucks
1: yeah, <laughs> yeah like you said and it swells up right away so you freak out when everything's yeah. happening and yeah
0: <laughs> but um, some some ways that you can that you can get treatment upon it are again we we stay away from the direct trauma. That that I normally don't take things away. That's that's something I pride myself on. I'm I'm a doctor that doesn't take things away from people unless I absolutely need to. In the case of bursitis, if you're out of camp, I tell you to stay away from grappling days for the pure fact that you're just gonna keep inflaming it. Um you can load up the hip. This is where we can focus on our out of practice uh skill sets. So we can focus on our strength work, we can focus on all these different movements that are going to benefit you and make you a better athlete. Because guess what? If your knee bursa, if you have bursitis of your knee, it's inflamed. There's nothing wrong with your upper body. (laughs) You can still do other things. You can still shadow box. You can still hit a bag. You can still come and work upper body work. Um, as well as you can also go get it drained. Um, I actually don't know the current literature on what orthos are doing as far as the procedure. They basically what it is is you go in, you drain the liquid that's in there. It's typically going to be about one cc to two cc's, so like one of those little vials. And then in the past, they were injecting cortisone into there. I don't, which is an anti-inflammatory. I don't know if they're doing that anymore, just based off the current research on cortisone. Um, but they may be doing that to try to disallow um, the, the inflammation from popping back up again, that would be a question for Alex's sister.
1: Yeah. Right. So
0: no, yeah, (laughs) I think that's more medical,
1: but so in general, if your knee hurts, it's not for no reason. Um, there's probably a, a reason behind it. And there is always, and I tell this to my athletes all the time. There's two, there's always something you can do, right? There's somewhere you can go see to get it assessed. There's modalities and modifications that can be made. If you're having knee pain and it is general, or you don't know what it is, figure it out. One, but two, don't just stop dead in the water. You know, you, there's there's ways to move forward, and and that's my number one pet peeve is when I talk to athletes. I'm like, I didn't come in that day because my knee was kind of hurting or swollen. It's like even if we, it's a big squat day, like and your knee hurts, whatever. I can change that exercise as well within my capabilities.
0: That know. is literally what people pay for for the they don't they don't pay for you just because you look good and you you want to be there to spot them right they pay for the knowledge that you've accumulated yeah which allows you to modify lifts
1: and, yeah, and that's <laughs> some of the most important stuff that we do right is make those modifications and and adapt to the con,
0: uh, context that you're in so also that uh, just a minor point on bursitis and knee inflammation if your knees inflamed please do not hit it with your compex massage gun. That is going to make it worse. I just—it's something I've seen multiple times, and I would like to get it out there. Like, if you have bursitis of your knee, like, yeah, do it on your hip, do it on all the other stuff. Do not go directly over the inflammation with your compex massage gun. That's dumb.
1: This <laughs> hurts. It must be good, right?
0: Yeah, ex- exactly. Um, but yeah, so as far as for the podcast, just remember that we we want to focus on knee dominant patterns the knee doesn't just flex and extend. It also rotates and it's a, and you need to figure out if yours does rotate or does not rotate. Cause it's extremely important for grapplers in specific, um, focusing on for lunges. You can do both, make sure that neither one of them are painful before. And that goes for literally every exercise. If it's painful, please don't do that thing. Like it's the old like doctor meme, like, ha, ah, stop okay. doing that. If it's hurt, if it hurts. Yeah, right. Um, as well as, mcls and bursitis you don't need to get surgery um and find somebody in your area that that handles sports rehab that's able to assist you because neither one of them are are like life sentences you don't have to live with that diagnosis forever so yeah
1: that's what i got thank you all for listening i think again we we, we covered a lot of stuff knee and around the knee and everywhere in between but um but no i think that was a pretty comprehensive list of common injuries as well as you know training thoughts about the knee
0: Yeah. And we got into central governing theory. Love it. I like it. All right. (laughs) That's our episode. Thanks for listening. If you got to get in contact with us, it'll be in the show notes, both our emails and our Instagram handles. If you got to shoot us a DM, feel free to to send me any messages, like I said, about knee injuries. Always happy to spread some information, help you out any way I can. And thank you for listening. We appreciate it a bunch. Give us a like, and as well as rate us on Apple Podcasts. That's how we get out to more people, is all those ratings. So, Thank you all. Appreciate you.